Okay, here we go, here we go on the annual quest to start at 10 and stop at 10.40. Every, every year we try this and, you know, every year we have to be forgiven for it. Just stay right there, my dear. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. You can't hold yourself back. You want to give money away. Who do you want to give money to? Who's in charge of this, for goodness sakes? Lindsay? Soup Kitchen, St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen, because I know, uh, no, it's not Lindsay anymore, it's Betsy. Betsy? Betsy. She's here. She's having fun somewhere. I already saw her. She's probably doing so good. St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen, she visited there with another deaconess this morning. We couldn't possibly go wrong. Could we, Mary? How are you? Are you recording this yet? No swearing. Okay, here we go. It's nice to see all of you back, uh, your annual pilgrimage. A lot of good things happening. Thanks to... To those of you who came to the organ concert, that was pretty spectacular and very well attended, so that was very, very nice. We're off to the races. Be patient with the kids in the service. We want them in rather than out. They just all have to get used to it again, plus there's some new ones, so everybody's got to learn what's cooking, right, and it should all be good. Questions about anything? Anybody? Everybody okay? Everything's starting up? So... You know, I'm sure you figured this out by now. We try, we sort of have this rhythm to our life together. Christ and scripture, right? Prayer, the liturgy and the Holy Supper, tithing and alms. Being very merciful toward people and giving a very good witness. And that holds our life together. It's all over scripture. It's bundled together really easily in Acts chapter 2. Each year we sort of take one or another of those. Whether you recognize it or not, those are... So for last year, we did quite a lot of talk about money so that this year we don't have to talk about money. By the way, um, you know, for whatever reason, don't want to jinx it, but giving is up like 5% over last year. And so it's kind of, I mean, it's interesting because we can't quite figure that out except that you probably said a prayer to the baby Jesus and everything worked out. And you've also been very generous. Um, The capital campaign stuff is sort of kicking along. So my only advice there is, Sign up for automatic giving if you haven't already. It really helps us. It smooths everything out during the summer and makes life easy. But you've been very generous, and that gives us a chance to do spectacular things that maybe we wouldn't normally be able to do. So thanks very much for that. So we we did that. The previous two years, we talked quite a lot about giving a good witness in the world that seemed a bit more threatening. You know, relax. It's all going to be fine. Uh, Say your prayers, which is what I want to talk to you about this year. It's a bit of a dangerous topic because it can, it can evoke all sorts of feelings from pride to inadequacy. And in a normal spiritual life, people's prayers sort of go up and down, the way emotions go up and down, the way the sense of faithfulness goes up and down. That was a very consoling note from now and this morning about you're not your emotions. Your emotions are fine, but that's not who you are. So just kind of note them. Uh, your prayers, too, like your giving, like your witness, like being merciful to people, your prayers are an indicator of your spiritual health. But you shouldn't confuse that with, I feel, feel really good about this or it's easy. The truth is, uh, the more you pray, the harder it gets. And there's a range of reasons for that. One is you become much more tuned to what the Lord is doing. And you begin to realize how helpless you are. And we'll spend a lot of time 
or at least sometime this year, talking about helplessness as sort of baseline for your prayers. Uh, also, you may find that your prayers become uh, shorter and more poignant. You know, people used to walk through the desert to see the fathers and the mothers who lived alone out in the far western part of, or far eastern part of Turkey. And sometimes they were disillusioned and even disappointed because they'd spent this long time going to see him to ask advice about their spiritual life or about prayers, and they'd maybe just get a line or a word in reply. This often happens with people who have prayed a long time. Their prayers often shorten and become very punchy and to the point. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about this. When you say your prayers, you don't have to use a lot of words. The Heavenly Father knows it's coming already. And yet each week in the bulletin, we try to give you four or five prayers that are kind and beautiful. So the one in the bulletin cover this morning, a single, a single sentence, which goes something like, fill us with your grace that we're, you know, come together with you. It's kind of these beautiful things that you can take home uh, and use during the week. So we want to see what we can do uh, as we go. The, uh, as we go, I, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. I guess maybe the one thing I should say is here's the one thing I'm going to ask you to do, and I want to see if this can be life changing for you and also for the congregation. I'm not going to keep score or anything like that, but I am going to ask you, and I'll talk about this at the end, at least for a beginning. Just if you come to this class, I'm going to ask you to pray twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And I want to see, what, I, what I'd suggest to you is that the change will be as substantial as everybody tithing and moving into a new building or getting a new organ and making the music really good or welcoming children into the congregation. By the way, that was a brilliant sermon this morning. When you see children, you see Jesus, right? How you treat children is how you treat Jesus. It was a remarkable uh, piece of work. And, Pastor Nelson is very interested in this. He's doing a lot of extra study on it, uh, on families and children, so it's been very, very helpful. Okay, so here's the thing. What I'd suggest to you is you might, uh, or I would at least the test case would be, it'd be interesting to get to to think again in May, at least ask the question if we can remember, um, what's different given the fact that we've all changed, uh, that we've all prayed morning and evening, as the scriptures say? Right, normal times to go up to the temple to pray. The disciples seem to follow this. Jesus is often um, evening into morning praying right through the night. And John Kleinig's stuff about the middle of the night prayers when you can't sleep, and how that was kind of a normal thing, uh, a t- normal time to get some work done. So I just, in the back of your head, here's what I, if you could just, you know, I don't want to set it really as a goal. Um, I would set it as a discipline, uh, maybe as a hope that in the morning and the evening you would pray. And we'll talk about what prayers might look like as we go and the challenges you'll face, uh, the difficulties that will come, and also an awareness of the good that happens. But just be curious, you know, if we were all praying at one time. I mean, there's nothing, for example, like what happens when we sing the Our Father. It's not that common in congregations, but people who visit often, it's interesting, that's one of the two or three things they always remark about is how the congregation singing the Our Father together is um, a remarkable experience for them. So anyway, that's where we're going, okay? Now, in saying that, I know that that can make you feel um, maybe a little fearful or inadequate. This is 
you know, one of the things that I'm nervous about always in preaching and teaching Bible study, that you want to, you want to get better without uh, making people feel guilty or defeated. But I, you know, as I was kind of thinking about this through the summer, the last words of private absolution come to me. You know, when you come to absolution, everything's forgiven, life is good, you're smiling. Then the very last words are, live toward the work and the beauty that Christ would fulfill in you for himself and for others. And then the words that were spoken to the woman caught in adultery, go, you are free. You're free to have a joyful life. You're free not to sin anymore. You're free to be restored to God and to your neighbor and to yourself. You're free. You're free to do some good. You're free to have your life aligned with the Holy Trinity. You're free. You're free to go on without compulsion, without fear. You're free. But as soon as then we talk about prayer, and I think this is partly because we don't talk about it. I know when I was at seminary, I did go to a couple of professors and asked about help shaping my prayer life. And um, I didn't get a lot of uh, good data back. You know, uh, I would say, you know, how should things be structured? And so it wasn't really sort of top of mind. But then you bump into somebody like John Kleinig, and we always spend a lot of time talking about prayer and how things work and what it should look like and how best to care. So, you know, there's this end of the spectrum. Ends of, there are these ends of the spectrum, and maybe we can um, do a bit better here for Christ and his church. So, you know, part of the beautiful work that you're given to do, that the beauty, right, of Christ, go and, go and live toward the work and the beauty Christ would fulfill in you. Part of that beautiful work is saying your prayers. Um, you'll find that that's hard. You can get guilty about it if you want. I can also, um, you know, get prideful. You've heard me moan and weep about the notion of prayer warriors, right? Because, you know, that's not the biblical interest. There are people, I, I know what people want to say, but like so many things, when it kind of gets, when things get evangelicalized, they get twisted, right? Um, you know, you don't have absolution, you have accountability partners, you don't have baptism, you have dedication, you don't have holy supper, you have a remembrance, you don't have icons, you have embroidered toaster covers. That's right. So with little verses on them. That's right. You've heard me rant about this before. Um, as if you have to only call the people who are really good at praying. I would be mildly suspicious of that. James, who was in the epistle this morning, says the prayer of a righteous person avails much. So you wouldn't want to put out the thing saying, how about you prayer warriors? You might want to say, how about you righteous persons? That seems to be whom God pays attention to. So, um, you still good? You haven't left yet? Thanks very much. Uh, but let's, let's see what we can do. Part of this is, <clears throat> I gave you an email. I get a couple of daily things. One guy I'm interested in is Dallas Willard, who was a philosopher out I think he was chair of the department at USC. He's passed away now. Uh, so he was chair of the philosophy department for a long time. He was also a co-conspirator with Richard Foster and some of these other people who were very interested in reintroducing the basic disciplines to uh, evangelicals, to Protestants, if you will. And he writes like a philosopher. It's difficult sometimes to read, although it's really crisp, but um, not always lush enough for me, but that's probably my weakness, not his. But I give you this, uh, uh, just looking at this, apparently he was not only chair of the department, he was also a rug specialist since 1930. <laughs> How about that? Hmm. 
So, you know, just, just kind of think about it in this way. In service, we engage our goods and strength in the active promotion of good of others and the cause of God in the world. That's how philosophers talk, right? So basically, when you do good work, you do good to others and you do good to God. This is what I want, though. Here we recall an important distinction. Not every act that may be done as a discipline need to be done as a discipline. So if I say to you, why don't we all pray together, let's just sort of set this as a possibility for us to pray in the morning and the evening. We know that it's God-pleasing and we know that it will change the world. Not every act that may be done as a discipline need be done as a discipline. I will often be able to serve another simply as an act of love and righteousness, right? And that describes prayer. Prayer is an act of love and prayer is an act of righteousness. The prayer of a righteous person avails much, right? The prayer, it's an act of love and an act of righteousness without regard to how it may enhance my abilities to follow Christ. There is certainly nothing wrong with that, and it may incidentally strengthen me spiritually as well. But I also serve another to train myself away from arrogance, possessiveness, envy, resentment, or covetousness. In that case, my service is undertaken as a discipline for my spiritual life. So the notion here, and he has a, this is setting us a broader notion in one of his books, is that if you pray, you'll become a person that you wouldn't become otherwise. And there's not any merit in that. You're not earning your salvation. It's just that if you pray, you become a different kind of person. If you're generous, you become a different kind of person. If you're forgiving, you become a different kind of person. And every step you make is a different kind of person you make this a different kind of community. So my suggestion is not just that you pray because it's good for you or Jesus asked you to do it, but that actually you change the world with your prayers. It comes to me that I remember way back in uh, a story from long ago where someone said to a monk uh, who spent his life in solitude praying, um, why, do you, why do you keep praying? Nothing ever happens. To which the monk replied, imagine what would happen if I didn't pray, right? So the whole notion that his prayers just sort of fought the world to a standoff. And to be honest, you know, sometimes a standoff is the best that you could hope for. Frankly, you probably would all settle for a standoff in America right now, right? (laughs) Kind of put a stake in the ground and step back. So although I had a long conversation with John Kleinig over dinner about how horrible the first two centuries were, especially for Christians, you know, before Christianity became legalized, or, you know, 313 or however you, however you, um, it was just the world was a horrible, horrible place, and yet Christians who were soft and loving and kind and prayed and martyred changed the world. So part of your prayers is not to, part of your prayer life is not to despair. So many people I bump into are just in despair. I mean, they're kind of, shattered by how things are going. Yeah, it's horrible. There's horror, horror on all sides, and everybody's hands are dirty. Okay. But you have the possibility of pushing back the darkness, right? With this beautiful act of praying in the morning and the evening. More, of course, too, if you can muster it, but it takes some discipline and some attention. You know, don't complain about it. Do something, right? 
And the remarkable thing is that when God hears you pray, he hears Jesus praying. And we're going to talk about that as we go. So this all brings me just to the first thing, that prayer is a beautiful kind of work. We've done this before. You know, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. And in Hebrew, one of the meanings for that word beauty is used at the moment when fire descends from heaven or when the fire consumes the sacrifice on the altar. So the most beautiful thing, and then it depends which text you're reading, is either the presence of Christ on the altar or the sacrifice of God's people to the Lord. So this is, you know, this beauty, and beauty, I can't tell you, beauty is, you know, beauty is a pushback against the evil in the world. You know, music, all the things the church does, art, generosity, a beautiful spirit, a kindness. I was driving, uh, some of you know I was, you know, St. John has been part of two studies over the last year. One of them, the one in Minnesota that I was part of just wrapped up. And I decided to take the long way there. And uh, suddenly I stumbled upon New Melray Abbey. Have any of you ever heard of this, New Melray? It's, in, it's this beautiful place in, just over the river into Iowa. I knew of it because it's the place where you buy caskets, right? So I'm in the gift shop picking out a casket for my wife. Don't tell her, <laughs> right? Because, you know, we have this running joke that we'd both like to be buried in a pine box. You know, Kirby said, if I bury you in a pine box, then people will say, yeah, she never really loved him. So, um, but in the gift shop, you know, next to the icons and the little candles, there are actually, you can pick out a casket. This is how they make money. So if, uh, you know, if either of us show up to a pine box, just pat other people and tell them that it's okay. Well, anyway, I'm driving through and I, you know, I pull in and it's a sad, it's a, you know, this is what you do when you're in the church. You kind of think like, I probably can get in and out of there without any trouble. And so I go in, it just happened to be the Adoration of the Eucharist. So this five-story stone chapel, not as wide as this room, but eight times as long. And there's, of course, um, you know, monstrous with a host and then people adoring the Eucharist. And you just sort of walk in. Forget about the Adoration bit, um, because I don't want to make you nervous, but just the beauty of the place, right? The silent prayer of people praying for the world, both brothers and um, lay folk who were there, right? You just sort of, it pushes back against the world. It takes you to another place. It's worth dying for. You know, those are the things you try to remember as you go forward. So, you know, God is beautiful. There was actually that in, I forget, I do think the margin comments months in advance or a month in advance. I shouldn't say months because the vicar will then let you know that I'm lying to you. He regularly comes to me and says, <laughs> that's my fault. But, uh, you know, that thing where it said, it's Willard again. God is, God is the most joyous, joyous um, being in the universe. And we live by the droplets of joy that kind of get splashed out from him, right? So your prayers... I don't want you to feel guilty about your prayers, but I want you to pray. I don't want you to feel proud about your prayers, but I want you to pray. You know, I don't want you to feel inadequate. We're inadequate. But there's ways that you can be stunningly sure that you're not inadequate, and we'll talk about that. Uh, What I hope is that you would enjoy the beauty of your prayers, even in your suffering. Even in your suffering. 
And that's a very hard thing for us to um, understand, especially if you heard John talk about happiness and the distinction between happiness and joy while he was here. So this is the one thing I want. I want to see beautiful things, right? What I want to see is the beauty of the Lord in his temple. You've got to have a good liturgy. Or the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1, they see Jesus praying. Hey, teach us to pray. Jesus is like, okay, here we go. So uh, prayer is a perfect example of a gift that's given, a gift received, and a gift that's used well. You only live by the gifts of God. Prayer is a bit neglected among us, perhaps, or maybe we're intimidated by it, or maybe it's painful. Okay. But it is a gift from God, and, and I, I want you to use it. And now here's the thing. I should say this a little bit, too. Um, I don't know where all of you are. So if you don't pray, and I know I've met people, wonderful people in my life, who have stopped praying or don't pray. It normally is the result of a, of a tragedy, or it is normally the result of a pain that's so deep that they're isolated in loneliness. So if that happens to be you, so for this year, what I hope is that we can bump you back into praying. Um, this is startling that I've met some over the course of my, you know, not more than 10, but I've met some, some people that I just admire spiritually. I just admire them as Christians. And then I found, after getting to know them usually after some years, you know, over a late night chat or, you know, a glass of wine, you know, so comes this confession, I can't pray. Or I haven't prayed for 10 years. It's a, it's a, it's a, it can only be understood as you can only sympathize with them and understand how painful that is for Christians who really want to but don't seem to be able to. If that's you, then we're going to spend the year trying to move you to something as simple as Jesus, remember me. Right? On the other hand, um, sometimes we can be a bit too cavalier with our prayers, especially in Wheaton. Um, you know, I just find the notion of we got to get a punch list together and tell Jesus what to do, and you know, we take requests and how about this and that, and so you get these very specific prayers about pieces of legislation or how the economy should move or maybe what my children ought to do, and you kind of go, yeah, you're not that good, right? Meaning you're not good enough to tell Jesus what he should be doing. <laughs> the river flows the other way, right? So if you're if you're kind of on the one is people who can't pray. The other is people who are so sure about their prayers that um, Jesus must, you know, scratch his head and go, hey, you're not giving me any room to work here, right? So if, if, you're, if you're sort of, uh, you know, if you have a punch list for Jesus that is inflexible, I want to at least move you back to the possibility of rearranging your prayer schedule list a little bit and maybe being open to what the Lord may do. So I want to try to pull you back from that. And that's to understand prayer is a gift, right? It wasn't our idea. This is a gift that's given from God. Um, he's bought, Jesus bought you a new Ferrari for your birthday. He's just asking that you drive it, okay? So prayer isn't the result of scolding or shaming or bossing. It's this happy privilege. But neglecting it is a missed opportunity for wonder, blessing, joy, protection, a fruitful life, love, and actually miracles. And if we get to know each other really well... Um, then maybe I'll tell, I've seen a few miracles uh, instantaneous from prayers that were said, but it's, uh, it takes the right crowd and a couple of scotches to talk it over. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, that didn't go very well. Let me move on. 
So the rest of this I've kind of given you now. For prayer and in prayer, we're actually really free. You can say anything you want, and you can even rage. In fact, the Psalms, uh, the imprecatory Psalms, the Lamentations, right? You can, you, can, you can pound on God because he can take it. In fact, God even welcomes that. You know, your rage, sustained rage, is not good for you. And rather than doing all the other things that people do from, you know, writing on Facebook to, you know, punching their next door neighbor in the nose to all the other things that happen. You know, a Christian or a Christian, you take your rage out on God. And then you go back to work in the world. Um, you shouldn't think about this as transactional, right? I'm just, what I'm trying to do is kind of give you a baseline for where we're going. So prayer is this beautiful thing. Jesus would like you to do it. Jesus would like you to do it because it's good for you, so he gives it to you as a gift. But sometimes we think of prayer as, I'm going to do this, and then God's going to do that. Well, I at least give you these texts for you to think about from Isaiah. Before they call, so before you pray, God already answers. Now, you've seen this before. This is what happens when they're nailing Jesus to the cross, right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So Jesus' forgiveness waits in advance. And it's accessed by people who say, I'm deeply sorry. In the same way, the answers to your prayers are waiting in advance. God has answers available for your prayers. And they're, they're available before you take the time to give him your punch list. Right? In fact, he has things available for you that you never thought of or couldn't imagine. Things that are just outside your ken. And that's the reason you can pray for things that just seem impossible. You know, while they're still speaking, I will hear before they call, I will answer. It's not quite as clear in the next one that God is giving before we're asking, but actually there's a divine imperative in that verb, which basically means ask because God is already giving. Right? Ask and it will be given to you. You know, we're so transactional in how we think about the world. But what's really happening here is that, you know, with open hands, the Lord is flooding the world with gifts. And just to say, more please, I'll have that. Work on me here. Remember my children. How about my, my dad, right? The people I work with, the world I live in. A crazy America. The God in advance of your telling him what to do already has a variety of answers stacked up ready to go. Now, you've got to start, you've got to pull all the things together you've learned over the years, right? So another thing, you know, I've given you a thousand things to forget about. Your prayer warrior-ness, your punch list for Jesus. Wait, here's another one. Um, that... Uh, The notion that God can't stretch us through things that we ask for or are painful for us, right? We do what we do because Jesus asked us to do it. That's the reason we do it. There are remarkable benefits in all directions for us when we do it, but we do it because Jesus simply asks us to do it. 
And we trust that what Jesus gives us will be good for us. So I'm trying to um, kind of get everybody at the same level. Some of us are going to have to give some things up, and some of us are going to have to um, work some things through. But I, let me take you to the final one, too, which is whatever happens to you, you should know that all day long, Jesus and the Holy Spirit sit beside the Heavenly Father and pray for you. So this notion that, um, so it doesn't look like you have to push God into doing something. No, no. I mean, remember, God's a person and you're a person. So another thing to lose is your notion of predestination for ordination. Yeah, they exist. They're in the scriptures. They happen in the mind of God. They happen outside time, which is why none of us can understand them very well, and we don't use it as the first thing to talk about. Walking around Wheaton, it's like that's the very first thing people talk about, predestination, coordination. Really? Because it happens in the mind of God. It happens outside time. It happens from eternity. Those are at least three things you can't understand at all. Don't start there. What you know about God is on the cross. You start on the cross, okay? And here's what you know. God is your father, and Jesus is your brother. They're persons, as is the Holy Spirit. And it's no different talking with them as it is talking to you. You're a person, I'm a person. You have a will, I have a will. You have ideas, I have ideas. Your ideas are better than mine because you're divine, you're God. But we're persons. And so the answer may not always be the same. In fact, the answer may be different for one person than another, depending on circumstance, depending on what you can bear, depending on your life, depending on what will be good for you, right? So some people get different answers, Right? We've got to get good with all of this kind of stuff. You're an individual within a community, and the Lord, there's only one of you, and the Lord tends you in this way. This is, these are all the remarkable things that come to you when you begin to pray. But most important behind all of this is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus pray for you all day long. I mean, just look at that text from Romans. We tend to quote the middle part about that God knits everything together for the good of those who love him. Yes, that is true. But part of the knitting is that Jesus is giving some good advice to the Father about how he should care for you. And the Holy Spirit, who knows your heart better than you know it, may actually be praying against you or for something other than you want or from something you could have never imagined. So so part of prayer is abandoning yourself to whatever the Lord would do to you. You're engaged but open to receive the gifts. So Augustine, this is why the pastor stands at the altar like this. You bring nothing and receive everything. Right? The reason the pastor opens his hands is, hey, I got nothing. But I'm very well, and we got nothing as a congregation. You collect the prayers, you open your hands, say, hey, we got nothing except what you give us. So fill us up, here we go. Right, so there's all these variables going on which you can't predict or control. So often we talk about our prayers as what we want or what we control or how God should work or here's what you should do. Really, it's quite the opposite. You can, of course, pray for what you want. If you have a sick child, for example, or if you're, um, you have a stressful situation with your spouse or you know your congregation, just pick something. But just Be careful about trying to push God around in your prayers, which is not the same as rage. You can say, this is so painful and I can't take it. I can't see the way through. This is dark. I have nothing left. 
is a prayer that still opens itself to God. Mr. Yonker. Yeah, good. That's great. So the question is about Abraham. Uh, this is Sodom and Gomorrah story where he says, hey, man, if I can find, hey, if I can find 20 righteous folks, you, you'll hold the sulfur in the brimstone, right? Well, yeah. And he's like, I might have got the over-under wrong. How about 10? <laughs> right? So here's the thing. So what's the, but, you know, so what's the overriding thing there? It's not about the numbers. It's about mercy and judgment, right? So Calvin, one of the few times you heard me quote him, you know, says, what's the thing that never changes about God? The thing that never changes about God is that he loves you and will always do his best for you. That's the answer. The number can change all over the place. The punishment, the location. Hey, the snakes are biting people, and they stop biting people because people look up at the, right? Right? So all the, try to rethink all of these things as God is for you and not against you. Try to think about your prayers that way, too. This is why, you know, with such confidence, I always say to you, when you pray, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, when you pray, you get what you ask or something better, Right? When you pray, you get, it's the only, it's the most important thing I know about prayer. If it, I mean, I could say it now if you'd want to take the rest of the time off and just give it to silent prayer. I wouldn't have to prepare and you'd probably get more out of this. So, yeah, man, you are a tough crowd. I forget how you, how the, the strength that builds up over the summer, you know, the resiliency you have. This is sort of, don't worry, I'll wear you down by Christmas. So, um, right? All you need to do is have kids and this becomes completely clear, Right? Or get married. Or come to church. Did you take a good look at the person next, sitting next to you this morning? Just checking. Okay, so, you know. All right, so um, remember then that God is, is praying for you. So, you know, I tried to imagine what you'd say um, if I asked you, you know, why you pray and why you don't. But I suspect, do you see anything on here I've forgotten? There are people you pray when you need something. And I've, there's always people who I've tried everything else, which is not a bad reason. I mean, ah, oh, gee, I sent, right after John Kleinig left, I, I got the, um, you know, I get all kinds of stuff, just like you do. But one of the things I got was that the most famous atheist in Australia had been baptized at like 85. Did any of you see this? I copied the headline. I sent it to him. He was on the way to see Joe home and have fun. All right? He's preaching for Joe this morning. He's in their congregation, so they're richly blessed. I said, hey, do you, is, this, like, is this a real thing? He actually said, I've met this man, and I know his assistant. He said he is, a, and John, one of the things I love about him is, is broad. He said, he's a noble, moral man. It's an interesting thing to say about a guy who's in, you know, the most famous atheist in town. And he said, and he just sort of said, it's true, and it doesn't surprise me. It's like, all right, right? So the guy, I mean, you're up against the deadline, right, when you're 85. I mean, <laughs> expiration date, you know, October 2018, or maybe that's a nine. I can't see quite clearly, but yeah, right? So one of the reasons you pray is you sort of, you've tried everything else. Probably not the best, but it's, you know, we're human beings. Or... Um, you know, sometimes you just get frustrated or you forget. That's actually the most common thing. You know, more com- much more common that people are angry or, or st- you know, stopped in some way spiritually. You know, you just, you're busy. You roll out of bed in the morning. You got to make some money. You got to get the kids to school. Who packed lunches? Nobody packed lunches. We got to get going, right? 
So the last slide on that page under three, for everybody everywhere, prayer is this twisted up bundle. It's like the rest of your life. You know, nothing you do is pure handed. And then this thing, I just want you to know, so prayer is, prayer is wonderful. It just kind of gets better. I don't know. You know, I know it was loud this morning, but come on, it's fabulous. Kids making up their own liturgy as they go along. Amen. Really? There? We never put it there before. I didn't think it would work, but it, you said it. It didn't sound too bad, you know. I mean, like, yeah, right. It's, it's you know. Um, or when friends come and pray for us, one of the best things, you know, somebody can do is sit down next to you when you're deeply in trouble is read a psalm or two to you. Um, so prayer is wonderful, and it gets better and better. If we, I can just tell you, if we all pray morning and evening from now till May, our lives will all be better. When better means more aligned with what Christ wants from us. And I can also tell you that it just, you know, it just gets harder and harder. And I give you the text, and we'll do this in detail, but just sort of, you know, Satan is looking to, uh, to devour you. One of the, you know, one of the good things with John is he stays, he comes to St. John for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> one is um, you listen to him, so that's refreshing. Another is that we bring pastors in, and he really has a heart for pastors. He wants to help pastors. Another is that we let him rest. And so a lot of times Kirby and I just leave him at the house, and he and Claire, you know, they have their own time. But I do get a chance to talk with him somewhat, and I try not to wear him out. But the vivid sense that he always gives me of, of the wolf at the door, right? But you don't have to worry about it because you have a door. But, the, you know, Satan is there, and he's coming for you. And um, he really does prowl around. And we sort of sometimes think about this. I'm regularly in the conversations when I talk to him, he says, now Satan is, remember Satan is, or, you know, especially for pastors, he'll, he'll say, like, now Satan will use that against you and the other boys, you know. Um, he says, you know, watch for their family. Satan will come for them in this way. And I found him over the years to be kind of spot on because he, he's seen so much of it. You know, he's like, it's like at the end of The Godfather, right? Remember at the end of The Godfather when he pulls him close, he says, now this is how it's going to play out. Do you remember this? You need to watch more movies. So like he says, this is how, he said, you want to be careful about the one who sets up the meeting. You remember this? He'll set up the meeting on his own turf. You remember, right? Because he's seen it before. And how does it happen? They're right there at the funeral, and then what happens? Old Abe Bogota comes over and says, hey, I got a meeting for you, right? And then he has to take him away, and they're like, hey, it's only business. Like, okay, yeah, maybe. So, all right, well, we'll have a night and we'll watch that together. <laughs> along, with the, along with the baptismal scene where, you know, he becomes godfather of the child and the god, it's the most stunning thing. So I showed it to the kids if I wouldn't get fired. Okay, so remember that Satan is, is coming for you. And is, and is, and is, and is uh, you know what, if he doesn't devour you, at least it's to, and this is a very nice English word, to discourage you. To take the courage out of you. Because it takes courage to pray. You know, it takes courage for Jesus to go to the garden and pray. You know, if you could find another way, that would be best, I think. Um, nevertheless, what saves Jesus from the punch list is, nevertheless, your will, not my will be done. It takes courage for that. It takes courage for you to pray, both when you're deeply suffering, but also when things are going really well. Because when things are going well, you think it's all just great. You know, you're all back, and kids are here, and giving's up, and projects are happening. And hey, 
you should pray harder because there are clouds on the horizon and there will be trouble, right? So try to, try to keep this is that, that um, you know, Satan will try to drain what's daring out of us. And then as I turn the page here, God's aim is to return the favor. So one of the, one of the things to remember is that what God wants to do is discourage Satan. Um, St. Teresa used to say, you know, as I walk in my garden, I see the little demons hiding behind the, the water barrels and over behind a tree. So they peek out and they shiver as they see me. She said, I feel so bad for the demons who have come to tempt me because the name of Jesus is with me and God sends his angels. He says, it must be terrible for them. Right? Kind of an interesting way to think about it. I think for most of you, if you, and for me too, right, if you think that you come face-to-face with a demon or face-to-face with Satan, if you think that you're oppressed or under attack, you would you'd normally be fearful of that, right? But Jesus, you know, on the water, but so many times, you could just look up how often Jesus says, very simply in the scriptures, fear not. There's nothing to fear, right? So what Satan does is try to take the courage out of you. And it's the old C.S. Lewis thing in, in um, Screwtape Letters where he said, he says, the older devil says to the younger devil, the best way to damn a man is to leave him alone. He'll wake up one day, find himself in hell, and wonder what happened to him, right? So I'm kind of pushing you out of that middle ground. Um, your life, as often happens, if you become an elder or if you come to the governing board or if you lead some merciful thing in this congregation or serve at the altar or pick something, your life often gets worse rather than better because, um, you know, you've awakened the sleeping dogs. So, nevertheless, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't let, it take, don't let it drain the courage out of you. It can. It can be very hard. It can be very frustrating. Your life may get worse. Only if you measure worse by how you feel or how your emotions, how your emotions strike you. Better is, and this is the single question, is my life aligned with God? Right? So I'm just going to turn the page to Simone Weil, and then I'm going to be done. Just kind of hold this with you. Simone Weil, this Christian mystic, um, middle of the last century. Who spoke of suffering in this way. That suffering is, uh, in general, she spoke this way. Suffering isn't a problem to be solved. Suffering is a lesson to be learned. So we... You know, we're very used to solving problems. And, of course, we don't like to see people in pain. We don't like to see people suffer. But there's a lot of times we just can't do anything about it. We have friends who are sick, and they're going to die, and there's nothing we can do. Or we ourselves have broken relationships, and, you know, like the Lord, we're waiting with answers, but so far those things have not been accessed. Or we've made a hash of our lives, right? You're like the guy in Australia. I don't, I don't know if he was 85 or not, whatever he was. But you, know, you sort of imagine you're the most popular atheist in Australia. And you wonder, and he was a national minister. He served all, in all these posts. So he was a governmental official, very famous, very noble, and very atheist. But imagine if instead of at this point in his life, they didn't say he was the most famous atheist in Australia. What if they said of him, he's the most famous Christian, right? Now the Lord will use this as he uses it, but 
um, perhaps we could think about our own lives and even our own sufferings, our own mistakes and the sins we uh, have done that have affected ourselves and our spouses and our friends and our kids and our church. Maybe we could think to ourselves, um, once we're forgiven, maybe we could say we could keep the discipline that would reverse that in whatever measure the Lord would allow. So anyway, that's where I want to take you. I, it's 45, and I do want to stop because I know the kids get out, and I, if I stay long, I keep the pressure on the teachers, and the kids are running wild, and who knows what could be happening down there. But I just want to give you, so I just, you know, if you'll receive it in the way of the gospel, I just want to give you this. I just want to, give, I want to ask this of you, right? In the morning, I want you to say a prayer of five words or less. And in the evening, I want you to say a prayer of five words or less. You know, if you're already praying, if you have a ritual, if you say the Lord's Prayer, if you say Luther's morning and evening prayer, whatever, just add that. But all I want you to do is, I want to go to bed tonight with the confidence that all of you have said, Jesus, remember me, amen. Thank you, Jesus, amen. Jesus, help me, amen. Bless you, Jesus, amen. Right? This is not so hard, but it'll change your life, and it'll change our life together. So what I hope for you is that you'll keep the discipline. And what you'll, what you'll find is this discipline will shape you. There are things that you do that will change you. And you can't be changed except by doing them. This is not about working your way to heaven. This is not about making yourself righteous. There, there are things that Jesus asks you to do. Prayer is among them. If you pray, you become a different person. If you pray, this community becomes a different community, right? It doesn't make you any more saved. It doesn't make you any more righteous. But it does make you more mature. It does make us a better community. It does give you resources that you didn't have before. It does tap divine things of which you may not be aware. And it is so simple, right? Jesus is, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, America's got talent. They're not sitting there thinking, yeah, which one? No, it's like, thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Remember me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Or, I don't know, let's all pray for Tom Heck. Tonight when you go to bed, why don't you say, bless Tom, Jesus, amen. Amen. This ought to work. This ought to be good, right? Check him in the morning, see what happens. All right, we got to go. Uh, we'll come back next week and, and uh, hopefully, but just if you could just do this, morning and evening, one day at a time, morning and evening, five words or less. Let's just see what the Lord will do, right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Cheers. Love you. See you soon.